This has gotten me yelled at more than anything I've said ever on the internet. By a lot. Welcome to the very first episode of Log Off. Everyone has an internet story to tell, and today we're getting Brian Grubbs. Brian is the editor-at-large for Uproxx. He's a very funny writer. He's an accomplished TV critic and columnist. He's a dear friend. And he's the perfect first guest to have on this podcast for two reasons. Number one, his online journey is unique, complete with a hilarious pseudonym and very personal unmasking story, which we'll get to. And number two, he and I definitely never would have met if not for the internet. He was on the team at Uprox when they acquired one of my companies 10 years ago. At that point, Brian was a bit of an internet enigma. The only thing I knew about him was he was extremely funny online. The more we worked together, the more I got to know the real Brian, and our friendship has grown over the years to include visits to his beloved Philadelphia, trips to New York City for comedy shows, and more than one birthday surprise. So Brian, let's start this podcast the way we always do, or always intend to, since this is the first episode, at the beginning. What is your earliest internet memory? Uh, I thought about this a little bit. I actually have two. One is like the real answer, and one is uh, the funnier answer. So I'm going to give you both. The real answer, you and I are both old enough that we remember like unplugging the family phone line, like the one that people use to get phone calls about uh, family members getting emergency trips to the hospital so we can go online and like spend 45 minutes opening up ESPN's website to see how many points Allen Iverson scored. So that would be my first. The other one that I, the first like real experience with the internet, I think was a uh, like when I went to college, my first use of high-speed internet, because that was the first time I really like understood it, right? I downloaded every song, like every song. They're all illegally downloaded. My computer was full of music and viruses. It was fantastic. But uh, what I did, I got a one of those, I went to a store and I got one of those like a hundred blank CD towers. And I kind of went around to all my idiot friends and was like, listen, for $5, I will put any 15 songs that you want on the CD. And it very quickly, uh, tur- I turned a stack of 100 blank CDs into $500, which is like $500 is a lot of money. But when you're 19 years old, $500 is so much money. It's fantastic. Yeah, we're we're definitely dating ourselves, but I, I went through the same process. And every dorm had that guy, the guy was, who would just like burn you stuff. I was that guy. Um and then we all realized we could just do it ourselves. Yeah, the business very quickly cratered. But while it was, dude, I had all the beer and onion rings I could handle, which is all any 19-year-old could ever. So I want today, really. But it's especially all I want at age 19. <laughs> was that at Temple? Yeah. Nice. I uh, Temple University in the, in the freshman dorms. We uh, When I was a freshman at Washington State, did the same thing. Like Everyone was just downloading as much as they could once they realized it. We actually crashed the uh, high-speed internet in the dorm, and I think the dean sent like an email around the entire school talking about like they were going to have to, uh, you know, pull things back if people didn't behave better online. Behave, better. Uh, which is pretty hilarious considering what you can do now online. Uh, I know, you know, downloading uh, songs and videos and things like that is 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 not that bad. Well, it was great too because like people talk about how today is the wild west of the internet. And like, I would go to try to download a Beastie Boys song and it would say like Shadrach by the Beastie Boys, live version. And it's just some bozo 
doing his own version of Shadrach <laughs> from his apartment. Like it's the most the, the lowest quality MP3 ever. So I don't know who is yeah. breaking the law more, him for like illegally performing their music or me for downloading it without it. It was fantastic. And you had to wait like 15 minutes to find out. Yeah. Yeah. Was it's it great. the real thing? It's great. Yeah. So that's, those are my first two memories of the internet. There's the one where I was like 12 years old. They had some, you know, free CD ROM in the mail and you plug it in and you, you know, plug right into the phone line. But then yeah, going to college and getting high speed internet, a whole different animal. It was really, that kind of opened my eyes to like, Oh, Oh, I get what the internet is now. It's useful. Was there a battle in your house when you guys first got internet? You talked about like using the phone line and things like that. Were your parents trying to get on there too? Uh, it was more like, when can I uh, dominate access to the family phone line? You know, because yeah. like that was the only way you got in touch with people was calling them on the phone. And if you didn't, you get a busy signal. Like we sound so old. My God, I feel like I'm going to turn into a pile of dust just having this conversation. But yeah, it was brutal. It was like, you can go online from like 8 to 8.30. That's it. And then you got to sign off because dad needs to make calls for work. And you're like, but I'm just, it's still not loading. It's still buffering. Yeah, 30 minutes was enough time to load like five websites back then. Like all I, all I ever wanted to know is how many points Alan Iverson scored. That's all I ever <laughs> wanted to know in like the late 90s. Just like, did Alan Iverson have a good game? And it was it, the better part of my evening was spent trying to figure that out. It was such a basic thing, but it really felt like cutting edge that you didn't have to wait for the paper in the morning. You could just go find the thing. Or like the 11 o'clock sports center. And I have to go through like all the Yankees highlights that I don't care about and all the Knicks highlights. Just (laughs) how many points did Allen Iverson score? Please tell me. It's all I want to know. So I want to get into your professional journey because you've carved out an incredible niche solely through the internet. Uh Um, But it's impossible to tell that story without first diving into what we've kind of been referring to in our text chain as quote unquote, the wheelchair stuff. The wheelchair stuff. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So I get, that's I, obviously I, your story to tell. I will cede the floor to you. Yeah. It's, it's, it's true. I'm sure people can see like I'm a little fidgety when I'm on camera. I, so we'll go, let's back up like 2005. So 2005, I'm at school at Temple. I am not uh, yet injured. I'm walking around. I'm doing my thing. I fell, I got really drunk at a party and I fell out of my lofted bed and I broke the C4 vertebrae in my neck. And then I went to the hospital. And the long story short, I am mostly paralyzed from the neck down. I can use my right arm high, which is, I was left-handed before. So I, that was fun. But uh, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah. It's a good time. You think like, again, learning to type and do everything again, but also with my wrong hand. It's great. But um, so I did like physical rehab after that. And then I went back and I went back to school. Got my degree from Temple, and I actually went to Temple Law School, which is a whole stupid thing we could talk about later if you want. But that was actually, believe it or not, the period when my weird internet professional journey started, because like I'm sitting in the dorms, and you know I'm going out and I'm doing stuff, and I still have a personal life or anything, but I'm spending a lot of time clicking around the internet, and that's where I started started getting introduced to like blogs and you know, some of the ones that you were associated with. So that's kind of the way my journey started to get where I'm at now started in a lot of ways because I fell out of a loft and broke the bone in my neck. So that's, I think that's kind of the intro that we need to get started where we're going. If you want to jump in at any point and questions or comments, please fire away. But 
Um, yeah, I'd like to go back to the the part about <laughs> you glossed over the fact that you finished law school through all of this. Yeah. So I so I went back to school and I got my degree in 2008, and I got a degree in communications. But when I got my degree, I actually got done like much faster than I expected. So I kind of applied to law school on a whim, just like I don't know what I'm doing. Let me and I got in. So I was like, that's kind of cool. So I went and I did it. But uh, so here's, I did the three years of law school. I graduated. I did the internship. I passed the bar exam. These are all things that happened that don't feel real. But um, <laughs> what was really dumb, like two things happened too. Is like I started realizing I didn't exactly love the idea of being a lawyer. And as I kept come to find out since, a lot of people who are in the type of jobs that we are in were once lawyers and are like, this sucks. I don't do this anymore. But uh, the other thing that's actually kind of weird is, so I got done with law school in 2011. And the way the benefits programs were set up, if I would have taken a job as a lawyer at the time in Pennsylvania, where I live, I would have had to pay for all of my home care out of pocket, which would have like negated the whole point of making a lawyer salary. So that's where I started like, I had already started like working a little bit with Uprox, but then Warm and Glow and, and all that. And so they were able to kind of say, how much money can you make without it triggering this thing? So that's kind of why I started doing that part time was just making money and doing whatever. And so once those programs eventually opened up again, then I was luckily, I was able to go full time at Uprox. And once that happened, that kind of put the nail on the coffin of the law degree. Amazing. Do you still have it uh, presented in your house, though? I'm sure I, that I'm sure it's on the wall. I just no, it's not on the wall. I have like pictures of <laughs> Philadelphia and like basketball players on the wall, and I have my law degree stuffed in a corner. I actually just pulled it out because <laughs> one of my nurses was over, and I she's newer, and I was just talking to her. I was like, oh yeah, when I was in law school, it's like you went to law. She was gonna fall over, so I pulled out the. There's like a quarter inch of dust piled up on it. That's great. I just I tell people all the time if they want to cross my name out and write theirs in, they can have it. It's just just for show at this point. <laughs> so you, you uh, talked about how you ended up writing at Uprocks. Like, what was that transition like? I think you found your way in through the comments, right? Yeah, yeah. It was actually it was when our buddy Matt Ufford was writing yeah. uh, with leather and warm and glow. I, I don't even remember how I stumbled across these sites in the first place. Probably through Deadspin. Probably. That's what I would do. So I just, I got bored and I started commenting there. And I was writing my own little like blog spot thing just for fun, just to like, you know, you get that little like creativity thing and you want to shoot something out. And so I was sending those to Ufford and he was like, this is pretty good. And, you know, one day Ufford like needed to go to the doctor or something or (laughs) some very basic thing where he just needed an afternoon off. So he emailed, this is, by the way, he still doesn't know my real name when this is going on. He just knows me through my commenter thing. So he, he he emails me and he's like, do you think you can cover like three little blogs in the afternoon when I go to the doctor? And I was like, yeah, I think I blew off a class. I think like, <laughs> like a law school class. I was like, I can't make it. There's something going on. So I can write like little you know, jerk blogs about TV guys. But yeah, that was probably what, like 2010, 2009. That's so funny because that's uh, that's how Uffer got his start too. He was in the Deadspin comments, just lighting it up. Yeah. And I noticed he, you know, he was obviously like the funniest person in there. So 
I reached out to him and that's how we conceived of with leather. It was pulling him and saying, Hey, why don't you have your own site? And so it's almost like he kind of like paid that forward and, and kept it going. And uh, contrary to popular belief, I guess the internet comments can be good. Now, this is where we bring up the fact that you just casually mentioned like, oh yeah, I found Ufford. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, about how Ryan got, got going here because for, for as long as I've known, like at first you were like this mysterious figure where Matt would be like, I got to talk to Ryan. And I'd be like, who's Ryan? So how did you get started with all that? So I started in, let's see, started college in 2001. I dropped out by early 2003 because um, I had kind of figured out the internet publishing thing. Uh, and also I didn't want to go to class. Similar to you. Like as soon as I realized, oh, you can put stuff on the internet and maybe make a little bit of money off of it. Or maybe I just want to do that instead of going to class. I pretty much like stopped going to class. So I started a few sites, including uh, What Would Tyler Durden Do?, uh, which was at the time like one of the bigger celebrity blogs of its era, like back when Stark kind of reigned supreme. Yeah, I read it. Um, and yeah, and based off uh, the success of that, I decided to try to put together a network. So uh, found Matt in the Deadspin comments for With Leather. Um, he was actually rooming with Vince Mancini um, at the time, and Vince was writing for another site. Um, I wanted to poach him and start a movie site. Um, so we started Film Drunk. So that was the third uh, site in that network. And um, I guess since uh, it seems like statute of limitations has probably ended on this kind of stuff, um, Vince was not allowed to get out of his contract for the site he was writing for at the time. But we wanted to start the site right away. So he started writing under the pseudonym Lance Martini instead of Vince Mancini. So we got those going. And then... I think it was like 2008-ish, um, Jared Meyer reached out about, he was really getting Uproxx started. And I think he just really needed, you know, content creators and he needed a stepping stone. He wasn't just going to start this site from scratch. So he acquired, first of all, Kissing Susie Kolber, which was uh, probably the funniest NFL blog that has ever existed. So good. Um, yeah. Drew, Drew wrote for that. Um PFT commenter. That's where he got his start. Um, lots of people who are making a very good living online right now. We're writing that site for free before Uproxx snatched it up. And they, they let me do a guest article once or time on that site. And I remember thinking like, this is a big deal. Like I'm like, that was a, like that was the closest I felt to like, I more so than getting a full-time job with like benefits and a salary. That was the one where I was like, Oh man, I made it. It was kind of those comment sections for like live in-game threads. They would just open up the comments. That was like a pre-Twitter. I mean, Twitter probably was around at that point. But like people would just sit in there and comment play after play, like commentary and talk to each other about what was happening in NFL games. It was incredible. It really was. Um, so, you know, Jarrett uh, grabbed up KSK, um, paired it with Film Drunk and with Leather. Um, then I kind of went into like a wilderness period where I was kind of not involved with those sites because they didn't really need me. I mean, Matt is a brilliant writer. Vince is a brilliant writer. Um, they just kind of folded that into, you know, the Uproxx domain names, um, let them live there. Um, I had a couple of kids. I started a viral video site called Clip Nation um, that I think it was only around for like two or three months. And then I had another conversation with Jarrett. Um, 
about potentially acquiring that, but it turned into more of like an aqua hire situation. It was, he wanted me to come work there at Uprox. So he ended up buying that site too, kind of shelved it. I think it ended up being like the Uprox slash videos domain. They just kind of forwarded it there. And so I came on as, I think the title was creative director, but it was more like audience development, social media, making sure we're growing things, doing a lot of blogging, like in the mornings, like, you know, whatever was the hot story that morning, doing a quick write up, um, competing with you and Josh Kerp with like the stories that would get the most clicks. Mm-hmm. Um, it just kind of took off from there. Well, here's the funny thing about this too, is like, we're talking about this. So you started these sites, right? You started these a long time ago and and then like you found Ufford and then like Ufford found me. And since then, like I've met your family. Like we've, <laughs> we've gone to like dinners together and like you came to my birthday party, despite the fact that, you know, this this long convoluted thing. And now it's, you know, like I said, I've, I've met your wife. Your wife is funnier than both of us, which is really frustrating because she's the one who's not like making money uh, on the internet with a sense of humor. So this is really, it, it, I was thinking about it like earlier today before we started doing this and just wrapping it through in my head the past 10, 12 years. You, you, you started a website on a lark, you know, because you were kind of getting bored at college. And now, you know, a thousand years later, here we are. And like, I could literally text your wife to say hello if I want. <laughs> Maybe I will. There's nothing stopping me. I can't believe you turned episode one around and had me tell my story. Uh, this one's supposed to be about you, buddy. Well, you know, I got to keep everybody on their toes. That's great. No, it's true though. I mean, I, we kind of started this podcast, like conceiving it um, as maybe like some mental health um, aspects to it. Um, talking about the negative side of the internet and how people deal with it and I mean, it's called log off for a reason. Right. Um, we were going to try to get some coping strategies from people and things like that. And it's kind of weird how, you know, we've done a couple of test shows and I kind of see the guests we're booking and we're kind of evolving it into like, tell us your story. And we're ending up with a lot of the internet changed my life. Like the, without the internet, I don't know where I would be. Like that's kind of where things are going. And I guess you're in my relationship is a really good example of that. Yeah. And I'm perfectly happy to talk about the other side of it because the other side of it is true too. Like on the whole, the internet has been very beneficial to me. Like on the whole, I don't know what I'd be doing without it because work from home is awesome for me given like the disability and like working with my aides and my nurse, like my, first of all, my aides and nurses, they don't fully understand like what I do for work. So they'll help me get ready in the morning. And like what, when I'm doing my morning writing or my morning, whatever, until about noon, there's usually an aide or a nurse in the house with me and I'm very quiet and I'm out of nowhere. I'll just start like cursing under my breath because, you know, some window didn't open or something froze or some stupid thing happens. And until I've had someone with me for a while where they realize that this is just normal, that Brian's an insane person, they'll come rushing over. Like, are you okay? Is everything all right? Thinking it's like a health issue. And I'm just like, no, the stupid window wouldn't open. <laughs> I, I made a typo. It's ridiculous. And then, so yeah, but you know, on the whole, the, the internet has been super, super beneficial to me. But I mean, if we want to talk about, you know, the other side of it and logging off and stuff, that's also very true. And especially I think for people like you and me who for work spend a lot of time on the computer, it's not like we have another job 
where we're, you know, working somewhere from nine to five and then we get home and we go, oh, what's on social media? Or we get home and we go, let me watch Netflix for a minute. You and I work at a job where like we get done with work and it's like, I'm ready to throw my computer out the window. <laughs> I, I need a way to not be plugged into something right now. Yeah, it's a very frustrating thing to work online all day. And then if you consider the internet a leisurely tool too, uh, dive right back into that, but you're kind of maybe scrolling different things and then look up at bedtime and realize you've been on the internet for 14 hours that day. It's it's not a good feeling. It's not great. And you start wondering like, why am I anxious and stressed out today? It's like, well, have you been looking at social media all day long? You know, like, have you been watching like the most uh, deranged set of people in the world who can't log off and love posting? Have you been watching them just lose their minds all day on the internet? Yeah, maybe a little bit. Maybe that's the problem. So let's get back to your professional evolution just so we don't lose that track. So you, you start writing, you know, occasional uh, blog posts for Ufford. And then you kind of come on and you write a little bit more. What kind of stuff were you writing about back then? It was mostly like TV hits, right? It was mostly just like news stories, like aggregation stuff. Like we'd see a funny thing or a funny video and I'd kind of do like two to 400 words on it. Just little like little blogs, just pop them out real fast. And every now and again, offered and Vince too, God love him, would let me just go on some crazy like 2000 word rant about some movie I saw when I was a kid. Or I think one of my first like big, big-ish post was like I did a post about the movie Three Ninjas and about the basketball scene in that movie where like 12-year-old children are doing free throw line dunks and just kind of stuff that I've talked about with my friends all the time about how stupid and the stuff that would annoy my friends when we're watching the movie because they're like Brian I just want to watch the movie and I'm on some like 10-minute rant about like how did he jump from the free throw line that doesn't make sense he's 12 and that you know, I suddenly realized if you write that and people go to it uh, of their own volition instead of having me shout it in their face while they're trying to watch a movie, it could be something that people are interested in. So, so yeah, it was mostly starting out with those little short hits. And then God love the Ufford and Vince and those guys for letting me kind of expand and, and do some other extremely weirdo stuff. That really was the golden age of the internet, if you ask me. I mean, it was before social media was so omnipresent and you were go just going to your favorite websites and seeing what funny people have written that day. It was it was very, just an amazing time. I, I really miss it. I really miss having like a bookmarks folder that I would just cycle through over and over again to see what was new. It was extremely different. Like I don't I try to be cautious about saying if things are like better or worse because yeah. you know, is it is it worse or am I old? You know, like these, this is a very fair question, but it was like, there was something very exciting about it too, because it was still like the early days of that. It's probably the same way, like some teenagers feel about discovering, you know, TikTok or discovering something like that, where it's just a new generation of discovery. But I think exactly what you're talking about, like a bookmarks folder, where I'd open it up and it would be like Deadspin, Warm and Glow like all these sites that like just routinely visit rather than open social media and just wait for it to be blasted into my stupid face. <laughs> you actually have to seek it out. I've actually been doing like, from, I'll go into something about like mental health things. I've actually been doing that more lately, like going back to that where what I'll do is like social media. I have so many words muted and people muted and phrases muted 
not because I don't care about them because they're not important, just because like, if I want that information, I'll go find it. You know, like maybe I just want to see pictures of people's dogs or like, I just need like 10 minutes and I want to find out how many points Joel Embiid scored as opposed to Tyrese Maxey. Like I can go out and find that information on my own by going to websites that I know. So it really is interesting that I've kind of come full circle with, you know, seeking out the information versus just having it shot into my face. Yeah. If I could somehow manipulate my life to go back to that time, I would probably try to do it, but there's also a lot of good things out there that I wouldn't want to miss. So there would be a FOMO aspect. I do kind of like being able to open my phone and just get blasted with the things I know I like. Uh, The algorithms know me better than myself at this point. So I open Instagram and it's immediately like the, the NBA highlights from the night before the a couple of comedy clips like it's stuff that i actually want to see so somehow like yeah. that's weirdly comforting even though it's probably evil that's probably a good way to describe most things on the internet weirdly comforting but also evil do you want to hear a funny do you want to hear a funny algorithm story yes so i just because i was curious i was like going around and i was looking on twitter and i was looking at like they have that things you might be interested in right so i go through and most of them nail on the head philadelphia sports like the nba movies whatever the one that kept coming up on there was accounting and i was like now hold on like i don't like numbers at all i've worked very hard in my life to get numbers out of my life to whatever degree i can the concept of looking at a spreadsheet is making me anxious right now and then i finally figured it out the reason they think i'm interested in accounting is because for a period of time for a few years i relentlessly talked about and posted screen caps for the Ben Affleck movie, The Accountant. And I honestly think I typed the word into that box, accountant, so many times that they're like, this guy freaking loves accounting. He will not stop talking about it. So apparently, uh, apparently the, the, the servers in uh, wherever the hell Elon Musk has the Twitter servers now, they think I'm some weird guy who loves the Philadelphia 76ers and accounting. Those are my two favorite things in the whole world. <laughs> that's really comforting like for all our fears that ai will uh have us down pat and be able to impersonate us it's totally whiffed on that one it it's so close but so far away <laughs> um back to your blog days i can't believe we haven't mentioned this yet but do you want to disclose the uh, pseudonym you were writing under at oh the time God. yes so the pseudonym was danger guerrero which is really stupid for a number of reasons. Number one is that I am in no way Hispanic and the last name Guerrero led some people to imply that I, I was for a while, which I felt starting to feel really bad about after a while. And I also felt bad because where I got the name, I opened up the name of the year bracket, which is still one of my favorite things in the history of the internet, just a collection of real names of real people. And I just scrolled through and impulsively just was like, Danger. That's a funny first name. I'll just use that for my online identity. Just the comments on these websites. Never thinking about like, oh, I might be still using this in a professional capacity five years later. And also that it's the name of a real person. There's a real guy whose name is Danger Guerrero, who is a catcher on the Cuban national baseball team in like the 2008 era, who I just imagine this poor guy. He's like, one day he Googles himself just to see what, you know, what people are talking about his baseball skills. And it's just 3,000 articles about children dunking from the free throw line in a movie about ninja. 
And I, I feel so bad if if he is watching this. I don't know. I apologize for using your name for many years. It's fantastic. But again, and <laughs> also looking back, there were so many better names on that. Like the one I regret not picking is Johnny Mustache. Also the real name of a real person. Also hilarious because I cannot grow a mustache. Never been able to do it. It's really funny. Like that was a thing for a long time as everyone had pseudonyms. And now like with more videos, look at us. We're blasting our whole faces all over the internet. You know, it's not, not only is it not a pseudonym, but it's like, oh, by the way, this is my face. This is my apartment back here. You guys want to come over and hang out? All right. Let's continue with the uh, evolution of Danger Guerrero. Yes. Um, I want to jump ahead a little bit. I get, I can't remember. You probably wrote under that for what, five years at Something least? Like Six years? Yeah. So eventually you wrote the post titled, This is the Last Post by Danger Guerrero, where yes. you basically told your story that you already just told on this podcast. What were your feelings going into that? And what kind of led you to want to kind of unmask yourself, I guess? All right. So the going into my real name, that was when I went full-time with Uproxx. And my theory was kind of when this was just like a dumb side project, I didn't feel bad about using a fake name because I was kind of saying, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I don't know if I want to pursue a real career, et cetera. But once I went full time and it became like an actual career, I kind of said, eh, you know, if I'm going to be writing about things that people create and things that people do, it's kind of not fair for me to also then just be like cowering behind the name of some probably very nice Cuban catcher. So I kind of, when I did that, I was like, all right, it's, it's time to do it. So I made the decision to do that. And I kind of realized, well, if I'm going to do that, when I had written under the pseudonym, I had not disclosed that I was disabled or that I was in a wheelchair or any of that. And that was like a two-pronged decision. One was I compulsively was talking about Philadelphia sports and all this other stuff. And I kind of realized, mm, how many dudes are there in power wheelchairs who are obsessed with Philadelphia sports who talk about the exact same things I do? So I was a little nervous about it from an anonymity standpoint. The other one was, especially like shortly after my injury, I just like, there's a lot of pity that goes along with it. And there's a lot of people who are like, oh, poor guy. So the cool thing about that was it was an opportunity for me to just, I don't want to say be treated normal, but like if I had a stupid idea, someone would be like, that's a stupid idea. And it's not, how do I sugarcoat this for the guy in the wheelchair? So at that point in my life, like that was really important to me was, you know, how do I, process and how do I get treated in the way that I'm used to being treated. Now I kind of maybe I've learned how to deal with it and I've picked up little tricks and trade like to to work around it and come to deal with it. But so I realized I'd be letting go of that too. I realized it was going to change my relationship to the people who were reading the things I was writing in a way for good and for bad, like anything. Like I realized they were going to read it and know more about me. And I, you know, I Again, I really don't like that. The pity is not even the right word, but that, oh, look at him go. Oh, he, the guy in the wheelchair did it. That's it. That makes me want to puke. And so that's, that's where I was kind of nervous about doing it. So I sent that in. I had like three different people read it, more than three, probably five or six. And I so, read it. Yeah. 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 I said it to you. I said it to Brett. I said a slew of people kind of read it and looked at it. 
and I, I do, I remember the day it went live just being like, I want to be online when it goes live. And I want to be online for like an hour afterwards. And then I want to close my computer and just be somewhere else for a while, just because the stream of it would have just been overwhelming. So I, if I remember correctly, I don't know if I actually stuck to that. You probably have a better memory of this than I do because it was a, a crazy day. But I remember just being I, like, yeah. I, I want to be here. I want to be there for like when it happens and the immediate reaction for it. And then I want to get the hell out of here. And then hopefully start over tomorrow, just like as normal as possible. I definitely remember it being a very emotional day in like a yeah. good way. I, I, I mean, small potatoes compared to you, but I just remember feeling like almost like a, a strange relief or a release, I guess is probably a, a closer word yeah. to it that all these people suddenly knew the outpouring was incredible. Everybody was, you know, just singing your praises and, and talking about, Know, what what how nice it was to finally know the real Brian. Um, so yeah. I, I thought it was a wonderful day. And it was also like at a certain point, keeping the anonymity became stressful. Like not that I'm famous or anything like that. It's not a fame thing, but like there are people, like you start wondering like, well, if I say this, will people figure out who I am? If I said, well, I said this in public, what if this person, and it just gets to be stressful. And at some point, it's just you're, there's a little bit of it that's freeing, where you just go like, "I'm just done." Like I, this is what it is, and you kind of. It was strange. It was absolutely strange, but it was very freeing and cool to get it done. You know, it feels so weird because that was. I mean, you had the post open. That was what, like 2016, 2017, March fourth, 2016. It's fantastic. That's incredible. So yeah, it's like seven years ago now. So in a way, it feels like a whole other life, right? Because I've just been doing it under my real name for so long. Like my mom follows me on Twitter now. It's fine. So it, but it's very strange. Yeah, it was stressful leading up to it. Writing that post was one of those like, I've talked to other people who write, who experience this, where like you fret about something, not fret, but like you think about something for a while. And then when you sit down to actually write it, it just vomits out of you. So I wrote that whole thing in probably 90 minutes, maybe less. But I've been thinking about it for five or six years. Like, how would I say it if I do this? So it kind of all just came flailing out. And then I had a bunch of you guys read it and got some good notes on like what to say and how to say it and tweaked it or whatever. But yeah, it was very weird. We, we were talking a little bit about it the other day because you pointed out the the header image on that post is a pug at a laptop, which again, I thought that was actually what I, I put a lot of thought into like, what am I going to do for the image? Cause I didn't want to put my face on it. I didn't want to do a whole thing. And my backup option was going to be, I was going to draw a stick figure, but it is really hard to draw a stick figure in a wheelchair. <laughs> it really like for my artistic skills, which are horrible. I, I tried it like twice and I was like, I don't want to do this. So I just straight up opened one of our, like the Uprox uh, stock image sources. And I was like, dog at a computer. That's fine. It's perfect. Extremely on brand. That's for sure. Um, you talked about your, wh why you were apprehensive about kind of the unmasking or revealing who you were. Um, maybe I use the word pity or, or people talking to you differently. Were any of those fears founded? I mean, sometimes like not not bad. Like there's definitely a little bit of like, I can tell 
when someone's like a little too, oh, good for you. Like it's more in person than online, to be honest. But no, it hasn't been bad. And it's something that, again, the as I've kind of dealt with it more and like my injury was 18 years ago now. So you kind of, you, you learn to deal with it or you, you don't, you know? So I kind of was able to pick up little tricks and little things I can do and, and ways to kind of manage that both for myself and when I'm talking to other people. So it's, it hasn't been bad. It very rarely is a problem. And I don't want people to like not give me praise because they'll be afraid that it'll <laughs> hurt my feelings. Like, no, please give yeah. me praise. Give me all the compliments you want. Just make sure they're genuine. And I love compliments. They're fantastic. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that when I started at Uproxx, I didn't know your backstory either. You were just a funny guy on the internet. Um, and I never would have known, uh, judging off of, you know, uh, in Slack, or I guess at that time it was probably hip chat. The way you type, I think you type faster than I do. And just learning that also you are using basically your offhand at this point is just incredible to me. Do you yeah. know how many like words per minute you can actually type with one hand? Well, I've kind of adopted, I've switched things up. So with one hand, I type slow. It's all hunt and peck. It's like tick, 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 mm-hmm. tick, tick. And you figure it out and you figure out how to move. But when I write a longer article, like one of the big longer, like a TV review or something, I actually type it out on my phone in a Google document because you can just whip your thumb around and type a hell of a lot faster. Plus with that, predictive text helps for... When I first was injured, they recommended you should do like speak to type things. And I, uh, they're much better now than they were. I still don't use them because I use too much, uh, like not proper writing words, proper writing words. <laughs> Jesus Christ, right? Real wordsmith over there. It's like, I, yeah, they don't, they don't pick things up really well. I always remember the one time I was using it and I was trying to get it to say something about the Philadelphia Phillies. And the thing that came up was the Philadelphia Phillies. And I was like, A, perfect. B, never using this again. So I, I figured I'd rather just struggle and type fast than have the, the artificial intelligence software insult my favorite baseball team to my face. I mean, you've really evolved from like picking up aggregated stuff, writing funny, silly hits to the point where you're like a legit TV critic at this point. And you even had a podcast with Alan Sepinwall for a while when he was at UpRocks. Um, talk us through... That evolution, was that, I mean, coming out as Brian Grubb, did that help that case a little bit? I mean, if you're going to get screeners, they're probably not sending them to Danger Guerrero, but maybe Brian Grubb has yeah. a better shot at something like that. That had something to do with it. The growth of the website had something to do with it, where we were getting into more like, like more like I don't want to say respectable, but yeah, like, like legitimate coverage of things that were happening in the entertainment industry. And I've been, the Allen thing was weird too, because I've been reading Seth and Wall forever. Like when he was back at his blog and then like he got picked up by HitFix and then that got picked up by UpRocks. So the idea that we did a podcast together and like I'll receive texts from Alan at like 1030 at night about something the New York Knicks did and he's furious. And it's just very normal to me now. So again, this is one of those like journey things where you go, this was a dude who was like one of my inspirations to get into trying to do television criticism. I think one of the first things I did was like, I've been reading Alan Seppelwall. It's really cool. I want to try it out. And now, again, like I'll just get some maniac texts from him at all hours. And then I've, he's one of the most productive human beings I've ever met. He like writes books and articles and everything and also watches as much sports as I do. And 
I love the man to death. Legitimately one of the nicest people I've ever met, both through the internet and in real life, but infuriatingly productive. <laughs> like, just knock it off. guy is an absolute machine. I remember back during uh, the Breaking Bad days when I – I assume he did not have screeners. He was writing his recaps within like 15 minutes of like the episode ending. He had like a full fledged recap with thoughts and all kinds of stuff. It was incredible. He is a brilliant man and a very nice man. Mm -hmm. And for the status that he has achieved, he does not have to be as nice as he is. And it's something that I've tried to like carry over myself when I'm working with people who are freelancers or like even people who are just emailing to say hi, I try to think like people were really nice to me a lot coming through this stuff. And it's it doesn't cost you much to be like a little nice to somebody or to like not be a jerk to somebody or not pop off and be like, I don't have time for this. Or like just like blow people off. So yeah, it's it's very so I know that I've kind of got to a certain stature in things that I've done. Again, not famous, I'm not doing whatever, but like a lot of that is because a lot of people were very nice to me when they didn't have to be. And I try to carry that forward myself. Be like the true sign of like if you're like doing all right, you're nice when you don't have to be. And that's something that I try to has been paid to me very much and I try to pay forward to whatever degree I can. It's a great way to live. So take me through a day in the life of Brian Grubb as the editor at large of Uproxx. You I mean you're you're still writing TV recaps and reviews. You have a weekly column called The Rundown, which is very funny. It's basically just thoughts off the top of your head. Very Dave Barry actually. I don't know if anyone's ever made that comparison. Uh, Dave Barry, I have like three Dave Barry books sitting on my shelf somewhere. So Perfect. That's that's <laughs> Yeah, something that was very funny to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you've got all that going on. Um, you're also editing, you know, content from other people too. So when you wake up in the morning, what is in front of you? What What do you have to do in the course of a, a day? Okay, so I have, uh, like I said, I have nurses and aides that come in. They usually get in at you know seven thirty, eight o'clock, and they're getting me ready and getting me set up and getting me up in the wheelchair and everything. I usually hit the chair, hit the chair. That's fantastic again. At about nine ish. Again, like I'm an adult, I have a job, but like I don't do anything till nine. It's great. That's working from home has spoiled me tremendously. But usually what I'll do is I'll get up and I'll sign into the Uprock Slack channel. The morning period of the day from about nine to 12, nine to one is kind of like Brian time where I poke around and I that's when I get most of my writing done. That's when I look for, you know, things that might be interesting or if I need to watch a screener or if I need to, you know, watch something to get caught up on it. That's kind of my window to do that. Usually in the afternoons is when I am uh, doing more editing stuff, assigning stories out to some of our full-time people, some of our you know freelance people, and I'm kind of doing like some administrative stuff with the other editorial people on the team. And so it's kind of I've kind of split my day into two parts. So the first part is kind of freewheeling, you know, uh, creative playtime, my own little sandbox. And the afternoon is I'm more locked in with, you know, looking at the entertainment world, finding stories, assigning it to people, trying to find things that will work for the individual writer. You say like, well, I think this this thing would work really good with this person. So you try to figure out like, let me figure out a way that I can get them to write about this and them to write about this. And then I'll basically do that from 1, 1.30 to 5, 5.30. So it's kind of, it splits up my day pretty evenly. 
which is helpful. Because if I had to do either one of those things all day, I think I would go crazy. You and I used to, you and I used to split up some of these. Yeah, it used to be. What's it was fun at first when you're an adrenaline junkie, but I think you and I probably were doing too much at one time. Let's go into some posts you've written over the years that I I really want to discuss. Uh, Not just because they are interesting, but the internet feedback is also interesting. Um, I'm going to pull one up. I guess we'll do it on the screen for people who are watching, but I can also kind of summarize it a little bit. Actually, I'll make you summarize it. I don't want any ownership over what's in this article. The 12th. I think I know what's going on. All right. September 29th, 2014. The 12 months of the year ranked from best to worst. I don't know if I can even Uh get into how atrocious this is. Um, Do you want to talk about probably the biggest sin in this article um, and how the internet reacted to it? Yes. So I also wrote a follow-up to it. I'm not a fan of the month of October. I don't like it. It's not fun for me. And so where do you remember where did I rank it in the twelve months? I don't have that post. Right it's probably tenth. Yeah. yeah, February was last because February sucks. No one sure. likes February. It's terrible. It's cold. So I will make. So part of this was like a little purposefully hot takey, tongue in cheek. Like I know I'm going to rile people up, but part of it is like I'm a crazy person and I do legitimately not like it. So I will hit my bullet points quickly to explain why I don't like the month of October which is one, it starts getting dark earlier. Two, it gets cold. Three, it's a sign that winter is coming and I despise winter. I don't like being cold. It's I love living in Pennsylvania most of the time, but like snow, even before I was in a wheelchair, like I didn't like snow. Now it's a huge pain in the ass to get around in a wheelchair with the snow on the ground. So October just is a sign of all these things coming in it. I don't like it. The only positive thing I will give for October is that sometimes the Philadelphia Phillies are doing very good. And that means that I get to watch them in the playoffs. This is the only thing I will give October uh, in, in the positive. Again, most of it tongue in cheek, most of it silly, but like also kind of true. All right. This has gotten me yelled at more than anything I've said ever on the internet by a lot. Your time. Like I, <laughs> I want to get into one line though. Okay, that right. I think. I don't know. I think it's very well written and hilarious, which is uh, your rebuttal to people who like the leaves changing and how pretty that is. You said those leaves you are ooing and eyeing over are dying, period. I guess I guess that makes sense. Sure. People are They're dying. They're it's again it's very pretty, but like they're going down. They're going down. Also leaf blowers. If I was gonna say one thing against October, it's leaf blower season and that is the worst. I, I sub I somehow stand by all of it and none of it at the same time. <laughs> I'll go through your top five too, so people don't think you're absolutely crazy. May, June, September, April, July. Yeah. Again, I like the warm weather. I do. I'm a summer person, so like I'm I'm not a inherently sweaty person. So people who are like very sweaty are miserable at like May, June, and stuff. I love it. July fireworks. Fireworks, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm at heart an 11 year old boy and I like things that go boom. So that, that does it for me. But May is my favorite. May is the best month because it's starting to get warmer. You can grill things outside. The sun stays out a little longer. May is the best month. I stand by that. That one I'll, that one I'll go to bat. Do you remember any specific feedback for this piece? Uh, not specific. I just remember, I, 
I did a follow-up article that just said something like October is not great or October is not a good month, like a whole article about it. And I repost it almost every year at the beginning of October, just on social media. And I just cackle like a super villain at all the people being like, you're wrong. Or like, I usually agree with you, but this is crazy. Or like, I used to like edit. Again, I know what I'm doing. Like there's a little part of it that is like the Joker, like purposefully liking to watch the world burn. I don't have that impulse with most things. I promise I'm a nice man, but that is one where like October 1st, that's for me. That's a little moment for me. Yeah, Brian. I was going to say, this is uh, some internet psycho who really wants to rile people up. This is almost the exact article he would write. So kudos yeah. to that. Yeah, and I, like, I, be- I believe it. <laughs> no, it's- I, I lean into it a little harder for fun. But I don't yeah. know which is worse. October, get it out of here. I don't know which is worse. If you'd written it just for the reaction or the fact that you actually believe it. Um, yeah, and you and I, you've known this about this. I would you say 2014 I ranked yeah. the months. And like we've been friends almost ten years since then, so the fact that our our friendship has transcended that is pretty pretty special. It's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I just sit outside on my deck in October and curse Brian and say, "I can't believe that fucker doesn't like this." All right, let's get to another post that I I want to revisit, which is possibly my favorite day on the entire internet ever. Um, I will read the headline and then I will read the parenthetical that was added afterwards. The headline was. George R.R. Martin strikes a devastating blow in his Twitter feud with North Korea, which sounds pretty crazy. That's a pretty crazy story. And the parenthetical is update colon, uh, whoops. So why don't you explain what happened with this one? So if I remember correctly, that post, it was like right before Christmas. I don't know if you have it. It's like the 23rd or the 22nd or the 24th. December 23rd, 2014. And we are in like, horrific doldrums of nothing going on and i'm covering and i'm trying to find anything to write about and so i see what i think is a tweet from george R. R. martin like going after north korea and i was like that's enough for a post i'm fired it off so i posted this is a and, peak game of thrones uh also yes. which is worth yeah. mentioning and those things clicked like crazy so i was like this is good yeah. enough fine came to find out i don't remember which order i found out but first I found out that the Twitter account for George R. R. Martin, I believe, was fake. And I was like, Do you want me to Shit. read the first update you added to the site? Please do. Update. Turns out this was a George R. R. Martin parody account. Everything is terrible. Correct. And now read the second update, please, because I know where this is going. Update number two. The DPRK account is a parody too. What a tremendously bad post this was. Christmas is ruined. Mm-hmm. Yep. So <laughs> I and again, I this is why I try to be patient with people when they make mistakes online and I laugh about like corrections because it's the worst post you could possibly do. I did a post of where both of the Twitter accounts were fake and I got fooled by it and I wrote a whole post about it. And I think you gotta own that. Like it what can you do? I I'm not gonna delete the post. You know what I mean? Like it's it's funnier just to lean into it and be like, look, I it's terrible. The other day, a little while ago, there's a correction in the New York Times. I don't know if you saw this, where they were talking about DiCaprio in the, uh, the movies in Killers of the Flower Moon. And what the correction was like, an earlier version of this post uh, incorrectly named the name of the character he played in The Aviator. The character was Howard Hughes, not as we originally wrote Hugh Hefner. <laughs> and I was, I read that and I was like, this is fantastic. Because like, if the New York Times can make that, like they can make that mistake, 
like it can happen to anybody. It doesn't happen as bad as uh, getting two Twitter accounts wrong two days before Christmas. But yes, that was, I just remember like someone pointed out to me that one of them was fake and I was like, ah, crap. And then someone pointed out to me that the other was fake too. And I was like, ah, oh, this is now funny. Like this has gone from embarrassing to really, really funny. So again, what are you going to do? You lean into that because otherwise you just you crawl into a shell and die. <laughs> All right. I don't want that to be the bow on your professional evolution part of this conversation. But before we get into, um, you know, more internet-y things, dealing with the internet, things like that, what's next for Brian? Is there anything on the horizon that people should be looking out for, stuff you're kind of working on that you're excited about? There are a couple things in the lab. There's not anything I want to talk about yet. But I know I was talking to you about this recently when you were telling me that you were getting ready to do a podcast. Like every now and again, I you go through a period of like, yeah, it's create like mad, mad scientists in the workshop where something's got to happen, something's got to do whatever. And I've got a couple things going. I don't know if anything's actually like what's going to happen or if it's just, you know, I'm not leaving my job. I like my job. I, I like all the people I work with. But there, you know, you get to you get to a period where like something's got to happen. And for a little while, I thought that thing was I wanted to write a book, and not like a book about me, like a like a mystery about a dude in a wheelchair who gets involved in something. Just because I don't always love the way like stories about people with disability are told. And I was like, well, I can do this. I can speak to this. And I started writing it. And like, I don't know if your books are really long, like they are so long. And like I wrote like a few chapters of one. This is never going to happen. So it, it, you don't have to worry. Brian will never write a book because these are like a blog post, like 2000 words. That's about as good as I'm going to get. That's, that's, that's where the cap is. But yeah, I, I think it's good too. And I think you know this too, because you're starting a podcast yourself. It's good every now and again to pull back and be like, what am I doing? Am I too comfortable? Could I be doing something different? Like what, what are some other avenues I can explore? Because again, I don't want to be the guy who's like still yelling about the way things that after we just talked for an hour about the way things used to be. But I don't want to be that guy. I want to keep evolving and like try to stay with it and, you know, be doing interesting, cool things rather than sitting there lamenting how all the things I used to like are bad now. Yeah, I don't know if this is the correct cadence or not. I guess it kind of ties in with New Year's resolutions, but I try to do that once a year where I just, you know, you you feel like you're you've had your head down and you're just working on stuff and your your daily grind is the same. Kind of pop your head out, look around at what other people are doing, um, what kind of new technologies have emerged, um, things like that, and try to figure out a new like big project. And a lot of times it doesn't come to fruition, but just like opening yourself up to having that spark is a really good feeling just to, to kind of know that you're trying to pursue, pursue something. I think I've been wanting to start a podcast for probably 10 years. Um, and I, I just, you know, this year finally was like, you know, if I'm not going to do it now, I'm never going to do it. So that was kind of the impetus for, for getting this bad boy started. It's really, it's true. Cause it's very easy to just fall into your routine where you'd be like, I wake up and I log on and I do this. And then I log off and then I watch a basketball game and then I go to bed. And it's so easy to do that every day. And I really think that, I, and for some people, that's great. Some people, the routine is comforting and the routine is good. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Everyone's just trying, most people are just doing the best they can every day. 
and that's great. But I know that if I don't like try to think of new things to do, I will start going crazy and I will start driving the people around me crazy. And that's usually a pretty good sign that I need to take stock of things when other people are like, okay, Brian, are you doing this again? But like, that's my sign that like, oh, oh, maybe I've got some energy that I need to focus somewhere else instead of driving the people in my life crazy by <laughs> running my mouth about whatever I'm talking about in the moment. I love how the question was, tell me something exciting you're going to do. And you told me something exciting you're not going to do. Professional, professional speaker <laughs> and creative mind right now. Um, all right. We're going to start a new feature. It's a new podcast, so I guess it's not new. Let's see how it goes here. You're a good guinea pig, Brian. Tab check. How many tabs we got open? I think we might have blown this earlier. Yeah. So right now I have one tab open. It's this thing <laughs> right here. Because poor Ryan is starting a podcast and my screen has been freezing constantly. On a typical day, like when I'm at work, like really, really working, when I'm in editing mode where I'm finding people's stories and assigning them, we could be into the 20s or 30s of open tabs, which is not healthy in any way. It's chaos. But even just regular day, like regular internet monitoring, we're at like six or seven, where I'll have like a Twitter open and I'll have, you know, like the Uproxx homepage open and I'll have our back end site open to check, you know, like the metrics and all the other stuff going on. And so I very rarely, right now I'm looking at my one open tab and it's like making me anxious. Like there are things that are happening that I'm not aware of. It's really great. It's super healthy. But yeah, usually like if I'm in an editing shift that I'm in the middle of assigning stories, 15, 20, 25 tabs open, it's chaos. Nice. Is it all stuff that you're like intending to work on or are working on? Or is it things you want to read later or a mismatch of those things? It is adorable that you've known me as long as you have and you think there's any sort of organization happening here. <laughs> it is just chaos. It is like I want to read this later or like a tab I've left open for like 12 hours and just forgot to close. It's just madness. The fact that anything gets done is incredible to me. It's a, a my, my system is I have no system and it, I, I like to pretend it works for me. And then like I'll, I'll pitch an article and forget to write it for two weeks. So yeah, it, it works to the degree it doesn't. And then it, and then it stops. All right. Next up metric check. Um, let's talk about, I don't know, your biggest, most famous internet moment, what it was like, and like what kind of numbers it put up. Do you, do you happen to know? Um, let's see. I don't know if it's the biggest. The one that gets brought up to me the most, other than the months of the year one that we talked about, is I wrote, like during a dunk contest one year, I wrote some really stupid tweet just about saying how much I would like to see a contestant dunk a pumpkin. And I wrote it in character as Kenny Smith. And it just said, he dunked a pumpkin. It's over. It's over. And every year at the dunk contest, someone will send this back to me. And a little while ago, there was a thing that went viral like in October, I think, probably October, the worst month of the year, where like someone was at a pumpkin patch and there was a basketball hoop at the pumpkin patch. And no lie, at least 15 people sent this to me. Just like I, I would get emails just where the subject line is, it's over. And it's contested, dunk the pumpkin. So it, that's one of those things where if that's my legacy, like that's fine. That's fine. If, if that's if that's my internet legacy is like a dumb joke about Kenny Smith being covered in pumpkin guts because someone in a dunk contest dunked one, that would be fine. 
All right. What are the algorithms feeding you right now? When you open apps, what, what's right at the top? Well, this kind of circles back to the thing we talked about earlier, where the, I mean, most of what the algorithms are feeding me right now are Philadelphia sports stuff. Because, you know, when we're recording this, like we have Eagles going on, we have Sixers going on. The Phillies recently made like a big run through the playoffs. And I'm just frantically checking these things. So a lot of it is they're feeding me that. The other one that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, I'm also getting uh, a fair amount of accounting related information, which I'm sure when we get into tax season will uh, make all of my feeds chaotic, like various uh, phrases and numbers that I don't understand being said to me about how to file my taxes. Amazing. Um, so none of that's really that surprising. What is a corner of the internet that people might be surprised you're obsessed with? Are there any communities you're kind of dipping into? It's not so much communities. You know this about me because we've been out to dinner together. But a thing that I do that I don't, I didn't realize was weird, restaurant menus. I will look at a restaurant menu. Like if I find out I'm going out to dinner on a Saturday, I will start looking at the menu the day we decide where we're going. And then I will look at it every day. And I will be like, what, what, what about this? What if I get this as an appetizer and I get it? And then I will get to the restaurant and they will hand me the menu. And then I will look at it as though I've never seen it before. I'll be like, oh, interesting. I probably have it memorized. And this applies to restaurants I'm going to. This reply, this uh, works with restaurants I might be going to. This applies to restaurants in cities I've never been to and will never go to and have no plans to visit. Someone will tell me like, oh, I went to eat at this restaurant. And I'll be like, click, 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 click. Oh, well, if I was going here, this is what I would order. And it's, I didn't realize it was strange until I was explaining it to someone. And they were like, why do you do that? And I was like, <laughs> why, why don't you do that? Isn't that what everybody does? You look at restaurant menus all day long? Is that information that just pops in and pops out of your brain? Or do you, have you accumulated like a bucket list of places you want to go eventually? No, it pops in and pops out. And again, it, it almost doesn't matter if I want to go there or not. Like, again, if you right now would be like, me and my wife are going to dinner at this restaurant near our house, so-and-so, I promise you I would be looking up the menu for that restaurant, like, in the middle of our text chain. I'd be like, let me see what they have. And I'm not even, like, I'm not a huge, big, heavy guy. Like, I'm not, a, like, a maniacal eater. But it's just like, it's what I do. It's like, oh, that's interesting. Oh, they have nachos? Excellent. Excellent. That's that's what I'm – if you don't see me like actively doing things on the internet, there's a very good chance that that's what I'm doing. All right. Let's get to some of the darker stuff. You kind of touched on it earlier, but um, you know, cutting down your screen time, cutting down some of the negative stuff that flows in when you're on the internet. Um, do you have any tactics that kind of work for you? Um, anything that maybe could be helpful to other people? Uh, I would say muting things is extremely healthy and helpful, like just shutting down the thing. Like you can seek out the information when you want. You don't have a blast into your face. Uh, closing tabs sometimes is extremely freeing. Like if there's a social media tab or a thing, you just, you just kind of – something I try to remind myself is that I don't have to make myself angry on purpose. So like if there's some news story that I know is going to make me angry – I try to be good about not clicking on it. Or if I find myself in that hole where you're like, well, I clicked on this. Well, then this guy said this, so I got to click on this. Well, now I need to read the quote tweets of it. Like try to catch yourself early in that cycle as early as you can. 
because it's not great. The other thing, I use it as a joke sometimes, but like, go sit in a park. You know what I mean? Just like, take take your phone with you in case there's an emergency, but like, grab a book, go sit in the park, go give some food to a duck. Like, there's a whole world out there that it's easy to forget exists when you're used to staring at your computer. That is what is helpful to me. Is like, I have a, my apartment has a very nice balcony that looks over a little park. And like, I will go out there and just like do nothing, just like stare at stuff and just realize like, oh, okay. Like the rest of this stuff is all happening. People are yelling and screaming on the internet, but like someone's walking their dog. Most people will let you pet their dog. Like if you don't, if you don't have a dog, like if you're seeing someone like, can I pet your dog? They'll just say yes. And you can just spend 30 seconds petting a dog. It's wonderful. It's not even creepy. You can't do that with a child. You can't be like, can I pet your child? They'll be like, no, no, you absolutely cannot. I'm calling the police. But if they have a dog and you're like, hey, can I pet your dog for like 30 seconds? They'll be like, one, they'll tell you everything about their dog. And it'll be the best five minutes of your day. Just got a terrible visual of you pulling up in your van asking someone if you could touch their child. No, that would not work out very well. That would not no, work I don't think so. Well. What is the last thing that made you truly laugh online? Um, this is going to date the conversation a little bit. You know what? No, I won't date the conversation because I'll tell you the truth. Uh, I was uh, bored the other night and I was clicking around and I ended up watching like 10 minutes of news bloopers on YouTube. And <laughs> I you spend too much time online. You spend too much time doing anything. You can fall into the trap of where you go like you see something funny and you go, that's funny. Instead of actually laughing. I was like laying in bed, looking at my phone, just watching news bloopers on YouTube for like 10 minutes and cracking up, like really legitimately belly laughing at just local news, like mishaps and bloopers. And that's uh, something I want to remember, but it's like, that is just there all the time. Anytime you want, you can go to YouTube and type in news bloopers and you can watch like 20 minutes of the stupidest like these poor people, like I'm sure they're horrified by these moments that are on the internet, but like you can just watch an anchor flub something or you can watch like someone try to talk while some man walks behind them and dances and it's just there. You can find it anytime you want. It's wonderful. There's some beautiful compilations out there where you don't even have to like go look for each individual one. No. Just let it roll. It's so good. Those people who make those compilations, they're probably not, they should be millionaires. All of them. Yeah. They should have millions of dollars. Millionaires, they should be knighted, presidential, medal of freedom, something. We got to give them something. When I'm in charge. When I'm in charge, yeah. don't worry about it. There we go. It's step one. <laughs> step two, the economy. Step one, people who made the news bloopers get crowns made of gold and diamonds. Perfect. Boomeranging back to the more psychotic part of the internet, what is the wildest slash most scarring moment you've ever seen on the internet? Okay. So I cannot think of like the most scarring thing off the top of my head, maybe because I blacked it out. But this is, it's kind of like a dark humor thing. It's very funny to me. I would file this under wildest. So my name is Brian Grubb. It's not the most common name in the world. There is another man named Brian Grubb. And this man is a professional X Games athlete and wake skater. I did not know what wake skating is. I'm still not exactly sure what it is, but this guy is like the most handsome, blonde, like 
uh, X Games, like incredible. <laughs> and so when you Google my name, or at least when I do, if I would Google myself, you know, they give you the little images that pop up there, like the little first examples of the Google image. So there's like three images of this man, like this like blonde god, like wake skating and like flying around in the ocean. And there's one of me in a wheelchair. And there's a part of me that always wonders, like, if someone opens this up and they go, did that man have a horrible wake skating accident? Is that what happened? Is that why he's like that? So that's always my wildest thing is thinking about, like, someone legitimately Googling, like, this world famous X Games athlete. And then they see, like, A, picture of me in a wheelchair, and then B, all the idiot stuff I've written online. It's kind of like the reverse of the Danger Guerrero situation that we talked about at the beginning, <laughs> where like it's my name too. I didn't steal it from him, but like yeah. that's that's the one that cracks me up the most to think about. It's like this poor guy. He's like a world famous athlete, and it's like he probably googles himself, and it's like why is this idiot talking about the months of the year? I just want people to see how I did in this event, whatever wake skating is. He seems to love it. God love him. I love it. That's a beautiful thing. All right. So you've made quite a niche for yourself on the internet, an entire living for yourself on the internet. Uh, where do you think you would be without the internet? Uh, it would be great. I mean, again, the the disability thing plays into this. The ability to work from home, the ability to like build this cool community of people I know. You and I would not be friends. Most of the people I talk with on a daily basis, I would not have met without the internet. I keep in touch with a few of my friends from college. I keep in touch with one or two of my friends from high school, but most of the other like real good friendships that I have in my life are through the internet. We're in a group chat with uh, a few of our other friends and I check this chat every once in a while. And it is just a continual source of joy in my life that I look at it. And it's these people who like, I've only met you guys in person, like a handful of times under 10, I would say right that we've all gotten together yeah. but like i love you guys i know you guys we talk constantly so that's a big part of it is it's just it's a fun way to meet people and to find people with your similar interests and there was a time where like your best friend was just like the dude who lived down the street it was just yeah. proximity it was like that's the coolest <laughs> dude i know he lives he lives three houses away from me but now like you can find people you know like i've gotten to, like philadelphia sports i've known people i've met people who like we get together and we watch games and it's really cool. The other thing is just as far as a work aspect goes, I finding a job when you're disabled is like hard because I can't physically do a lot of stuff. Transportation to and from is kind of a pain in the neck. So the internet has been huge for me because it means I can like work and do something I'm good at and something that's really fun and it's not an excessive burden. And it's just, again, there are dark, terrible parts of the internet. I know that. And I know that sometimes people kind of get in a rut where they focus on that. But I mean, the, the general, like, if you look at it as a pro con, like the amount that I've gotten out of the internet is leaps and bounds, even just something stupid, like online banking, like the, for me to like balance a checkbook, again, we talked about numbers, like it's awful and like actually writing it out. So the internet has made my life so much easier and so much better on the whole that I'm willing to take the bad crap that goes along with it and kind of say like, it's cost to do a business. 
other than that, I'm, I'm doing all right. I love it. It's great to hear. Uh, but let's drive that uh, into reality. Let's say the internet went bye-bye tomorrow and you could only save one piece of it, one little corner of it. What's the thing that you're keeping? I think this may be a recency bias, but I honestly think I would save news bloopers, as stupid as it sounds. I really, like, I know we just talked about it, but, like, yeah. just that 20 minutes just dying of laughter. Just these the little stupid YouTube videos. You know, there's a lot of them. Or, like, just probably just if I could save, like, 10 or 12 YouTube videos, I would be fine. You know, I would make it work because they're just they're little sources of joy that you can go back to over and over again. And again, I like, uh, you know, thought out. I like stand up comedy. I like the weirdo stuff or whatever. But at the end of the day, man, there's not much funnier than watching someone slip and fall. God love. I, I feel bad for them. And I swear to God, I'm a nice person. But you show me some bozos slipping on ice and falling down. And that's like the best part of my day. So do get hit in the nuts. Like I, it's, it's just there's nothing funnier to me. I love that answer so much. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for being the first guest. Thank you for being you. Uh, thank you for the conversation. Thanks for getting this podcast off to an amazing start. Um, and thanks to everyone who's tuning in. Uh, this is Ryan Perry saying, log off, sign out, close the window, smash that power button. The internet will be there when you get back. <laughs>